how, how many come in a case? Sixty. Sixty? Um, well, I'll take three. Three? Yeah. Well, make it ten. Ten? Twenty sponges should be plenty. You say twenty? Yeah. Twenty-five sponges is just fine. Twenty-five? Yeah. You said with twenty-five? Yeah. Just give me the whole case, I'll be on that one. But I don't want to be a secondary character. Hello, Ivan. Hello, Stephen. And hello to you, our listeners. This is another week of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. We are a Seinfeld podcast based out of Melbourne, Australia. And every week we take a random episode of Seinfeld and examine the secondary characters from it. And this week we're doing a Season 7 episode, Sponge. That's right, mate. We are doing The Sponge from Season 7, Episode 9. And uh, yeah, lots of uh, very memorable catchphrases, you know, sponge-worthy and uh, the AIDS ribbon, <laughs> that sort of thing. So lots of good references in this one. Yeah, no, lots of popular quotes that that are part of the uh, permanent Seinfeld lexicon. I would say Spongeworthy is probably the most memorable in this episode for sure. And Ribbon, who's not wearing their ribbon from one of your favourite uh, duos in TV? Yeah, Bob and Cedric. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Unreasonably angry men, which we'll talk about. A bit. Which we shall, yes. You can send us an email if you want, bidwabaspodcast at gmail.com. We do get them all the time and we love reading them. So if you want to reach out to us, because uh, in case you're wondering, you know, why aren't you guys in the Vandalay Studios together? But in Melbourne, we are still under stage for lockdown so we can't really leave our homes for too many reasons so uh, Steve and I have to record over the interwebs. Yeah that's right so uh, coming to an end though in about two and a half weeks we'll have our freedom hopefully unless something goes terribly wrong between now and then but uh, Mm. fingers crossed. We are on social media as well Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and Reddit you can listen to all of our previous episodes on whatever podcast app you use and if you want to rate us or review us that would be amazing and you can support us financially as well. That's right we are on PayPal and also on Patreon and if you do sign up for Patreon for a very small fee. You get access to our bonus podcasts, Curbcast Season 2 and Season 11. So uh, check those out. Indeed. We do have a couple of cool things coming up on the Patreon as well, including a very special interview. Uh, You'll find out in a week or two who that is, uh, but we're very, very, very excited about that one. Finally, if you want to check out our Facebook group, Seinfeldisms, it is the biggest Seinfeld community on Facebook, bar none. Check that out. (laughs) Lots going on there. We've got trivia happening on a regular basis now. We had our first trivia last week which was a really, really awesome event, a resounding success. Uh, We're having our second one on September 5. This one is aimed at Australian and New Zealand members of the group and anyone else who wants to participate. Uh, It's happening September 5, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All the details are at the event, uh, on the event post at the top of the page and a bunch of really, really cool uh, stuff coming up uh, involving a, I guess, a Seinfeld, a Seinfeld related person. Can't really talk about the details at the moment, um, but over the next few weeks that will all become, it will all be announced so check out Seinfeldisms on Facebook for everything happening yes very exciting news mate I'm looking forward to uh, chatting to this person and uh, being involved in their uh, stuff like you mentioned yeah no it's it's really cool really really uh, stoked about yeah. it yeah for sure man anyway speaking of Seinfeldisms my friend let's kick off the show so what Seinfeld related events have happened to you in the world of <laughs> stage four lockdown I have a couple of this week uh, first one is what I would only describe as a fantastic coincidence considering what episode we're doing this week I was searching for some new podcasts to listen to and uh, decided to check out uh, any potential new Seinfeld podcasts because they do come up quite a lot. 
And I found a new one. It started earlier in the year. They've only got about eight episodes, oh. but they're called Spongeworthy. Okay, and Spongeworthy. Yeah, okay. so it's a it's a typical episode by episode analysis, starting from uh, the pilot. The difference being is that it's two women and they're examining. Uh, Seinfeld from a feminist point of view. Oh. I was a bit worried at first. I thought maybe it's a bit uh, overreactionary, shall we say? But the women who host, I didn't catch their names. They are about our age or a bit older. So they're sort of examining it from not only a feminist point of view, but from uh, the point of view of people who grew up with the show. So it, it's an interesting take. You know, they do go through the episode scene by scene and they point out all the funny parts and all the, all the things that you want in an episode by episode analysis, but they add their feminist analysis. Uh, into each scene and they they offer a bunch of really interesting points of view that i never considered you know as someone who would describe myself as a as a a feminist ally you know and Mm. and sort of supports that line of thinking so yeah really a really cool little discovery nice man are they based in the u.s they are yeah yeah i I didn't do much research into them i don't know where they're based or or much about them as hosts um i've only listened to the first episode but um yeah really cool so far and i'm definitely gonna check out more well if you're the host of spongeworthy and you happen to listen to us for whatever reason uh, reach out to us maybe we can do like a collab one day or something yeah maybe we can reach out to them and uh, organize a a (laughs) four-way yes in in terms of podcasting yes yes i don't think our partners would be too happy with it yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that's a, it. Not a menage a trois. No. Not, not a menage a trois. <laughs> menage a quattro, <laughs> whatever it is. That, <laughs> whatever it is before. What I just said probably eliminated any chance of doing a collaboration with them. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you know, just bloody shoot myself in the foot. You're no longer an ally, Stephen. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> You're out of the loop, like Jerry says to George. You're out of the loop. That's right. That's right. You're the media now, as far as I know. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the second Seinfeld is my had was related to the Farfall episode. What's that one called again? The dog. The dog. From season three. Mm. Uh, our neighbor just got a dog and it was barking <sighs> incessantly the night. Wouldn't stop. <laughs> and funnily enough, their dog has a very similar bark to Farfall. Not exactly like it, but similar enough for me to be reminded of the persistent and annoying barking of Farfall. <laughs> <laughs> and it enraged me to the point, the same point that Jerry's enraged in uh, in the episode where he just wants to get rid of it and take it to the pound. And let me guess, is your neighbor like this drunk Irish-American guy? No, no. Well, I don't know my neighbor. They could be. But um, as far as I can tell, they're not drunk or Irish or both. So you were more like Elaine as well, because Elaine hates dogs and there's always that dog, you know, <laughs> that yells and uh, she can't stand it. And she tries to get Newman to kidnap it. I don't hate dogs as much as Elaine, but when a dog's just barking and keeping you up, you do. It does test your patience, shall we say. Oh, yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Do you have any Seinfeldisms? None for this week, unfortunately, mate. But uh, I guess we can jump straight into Seinfeld news. And I think you have a couple of, uh, or at least one really juicy one, an op-ed from a very famous Seinfeldian, the most famous Seinfeldian. Yeah. So through the week, Jerry Seinfeld wrote a op-ed for the New York Times. And it was in response to a viral think piece that was published a bit earlier in the year uh, that was published on LinkedIn. Uh, I didn't catch the author who wrote the original thing piece. But the point of that that article was that New York is basically dead. New York is over. Uh, not only because of the entertainment industry being gutted due to coronavirus, but because so many people have left the city. Obviously, the uh, coronavirus pandemic has decimated a lot of industries and uh, has had a lot of economic fallout. And New York City being a very expensive city to live in, even if you're a high money earner, a lot of people just thought, well, I can rem- I can work remotely. I don't need to be in New York City to work my job. I'm going to piss off mm. the, you know, 
you know, another city or upstate or whatever. So the sort of population flight, as well as the economic downturn, has gutted the city's entertainment industry, as well as restrictions yeah. and all the rest. And whoever wrote this think piece basically declared New York City for the time being dead. And uh, in response to uh, said article... Jerry Seinfeld wrote a pretty spicy op-ed in the New York Times. He argued that New York City is not dead. And if it is, there is a responsibility on you, being the person living in New York, being the comedy fan, being the music fan, whoever, to rebuild it. Go out and support local businesses. Start practicing comedy. It's up to it's up to the public to rebuild what is now dead. His article got a pretty big pushback online. A lot of people yes. criticized him for sort of being out of touch. Yep. One person, I, I didn't note who, basically said that it's easy for you to comment on the state of New York. New York on the ground when you're sitting in your comfortable mansion, you know, in upstate New York or the Hamptons or wherever it is, you know, and that even though Jerry came through New York and that's where he made his, that's where he became a success, he's very removed from what it's like on the ground. So I, I guess the, the the argument, the pushback was that his article was a bit tone deaf and a bit, yeah. you know, a bit out of touch with reality as it stands, uh, you know, in the guts of New York. Interesting read, worth a read. And uh, yeah, like I said, check out the link in the show notes. And speaking of people who pushed back, I actually got a news note notification yesterday the original author who penned the previous one he actually responded to jerry as well oh. yeah he wasn't happy either <laughs> he yeah, was saying yeah. things along the lines of being out of touch and all that stuff yeah, when it comes to who's right and who's wrong, I mean, I have no vested interest in the comedy scene. You know, I, I have no vested interest in the the New York creative scene. So it doesn't affect me personally. And I do agree with Jerry in that you can mope all you want about things not being how you want them to be, but ultimately is up to the people who want something to be a certain way to make it that way to do whatever they can. But I also understand yeah. the pushback saying, "Hey, it's not as easy as that." You know, it's easy for you to criticize this while you're sitting in comfort in your mansion and you don't need to work five comedy nights a week just to pay the rent because you're a billionaire. So I understand both mm. sides. Yeah, I mean, there's different arguments to it, but Jerry does make a point. I mean, you know, you do kind of need to, you know, if you want to make something work, you got to make it work. Yeah. But I do get the pushback too. I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where I can see both both arguments depending on, uh, you know, where you're sitting. Now, the next bit of news, again, still on Jerry Seinfeld. He has announced a new book. It's called Is This Anything? Comes out October 6th. And it's basically a sequel to his uh, top-selling book, Sign Language, which came out in 1994, I believe. 1994, yes. And you gave me a copy of that book when I uh, when ended up in hospital. Yeah, you gave me a copy yeah, of Sign yeah, Language. Yeah. Yes, I've got it. I'll have to get the sequel then. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be a good read. It's basically... Um, a summary of his best, what he says is his best comedy uh, material over the last five decades or so since he started in comedy in the 70s. So yeah, very similar format to sign language. So it's, you know, it's it's like the second half of his nearly 50 year comedy career in book form. Excellent. Well, like I said, because you gave me sign language way back when, a few years ago, I'll have to get that one. Hopefully I won't give it to you in the hospital this time. Hopefully I can give it to you <laughs> at home. <laughs> yeah, as a Christmas gift. Or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Third bit of news. A company by the name of Culturefly have just announced a box set. So they release really, really awesome box sets every three months. Um, they've done one for Friends. They've done one for Cheers. They've done one for, I think they've even done one for Chicago Hope, that medical show oh. from the 90s. Yeah. Nice. They've announced one for Seinfeld. There's no release date yet. They have given a few hints as to what will be included in the box set. There will be a poster, the famous Kramer poster, but like a really high-res print. The Kramer, yep. Yeah. Yep, the Kramer. Apparently, there's going to be a Mansia um, or a Pro. Oh, yeah. nice. Which is Just like cool. last week. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or the week that's before. Right. I mean, there's some pretty awesome Seinfeld memorabilia out there, but I would say that that's one of the best I've ever heard of someone making. You know, even if it's just a direct copy of uh, The Man's Ear, it's, um, yeah, it's a fantastic merch idea as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, you can go on a mailing list to find out when it's announced. And um, mm. yeah, if you end up getting one and you want to describe it to us, let us know what it's like when it comes out, obviously. I wonder um, if they ship to Australia. I think they do. Yeah, I think cool. it would. I might um, buy it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think it's going to be a couple hundred bucks, but definitely well worth it if you're a Seinfeld fan, especially yeah. uh, like us. Final <laughs> bit of news. Going through a lot this week. Back to the old yeah. days where there was four, five, six news pieces a week. I um, know. Half the episode was bloody Seinfeld news. <laughs> yeah, not not was, that much. There was a bit of uh, media coverage on a brand new company. They've been around for a little while, but they're sort of getting a bit of hype. They had a feature article in Esquire, which really sort of created a bit of buzz. They are makers of what they call a brokini. So it's two Canadian guys. <laughs> Taylor Field and Chad Sasko. And uh, you can check out the link in the show notes and it will take you to the Esquire article. And uh, there's a shot of them running sort of in from the beach on the sand and they're both wearing a brokini. And it's like a one piece, but instead of two straps, it's just got the one strap. So it's like a half strap, one piece swimming suit that typically, not always, but typically uh, women would wear. But I'm not sure of the utility of the device. I don't I don't know why they thought that they needed to develop this. I mean, it looks cool and it's interesting. Mm. I don't know if there's a demand out there for, you know, sort of one strapped uh, swimsuits for men. I'm not too sure. But um, either way, it was developed and it's called the Brokini and it's a, it's a fun little read and the pictures are interesting. So yeah, check that out in the show notes. Well, like I keep saying on the podcast, my friend, it's 2020. Anything can happen. I think uh, everything that you thought could happen will happen based on a current <laughs> timeline so yeah whatever whatever <laughs> wacky wish you thought to uh, you want to come true just wait and it probably will like steven wearing a brocini at the beach in summer yeah. look if they sent us a brocini i would model it so we could put it up on our socials so if by Me some too. sliver of a chance either taylor field or chad sasco happen to listen to this or if anyone listening knows them and they want to send us a sample <laughs> product i will model it in all my chubby mid-30s dad body glory and put it up on the social media for sure sweet <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's all the Seinfeld news for the week. Very good, buddy. That probably wouldn't be too sponge worthy, but at least you get some publicity, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. It's all the publicity. That's it, man. But what is sponge worthy is going to be the sponge. We're talking about some secondary characters straight after this break. I have some notes today, Stephen, on Jerry's episode girlfriend, Lena Small, and uh, Elaine's episode boyfriend, Billy. What about you? Yeah, I've got notes on those two, as well as a couple on Susan Ross in the context of the episode, and a couple on Bob and Cendric, the other walkers in the AIDS parade and the pharmacist as well. Just a couple of notes on all those those characters. Very good. We'll be back. Hi, this is Zach and Aaron from Seinfeld Law and uh, you are listening to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. The Sponge from Season 7 first aired in the US on December 7th, 1995. Directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Peter Melman. In this episode, Elaine's birth control method of choice is being discontinued and she goes all over New York to find the last remaining case. After she successfully finds it, she then begins the agonising process of determining whether or not her dates are sponge-worthy. Kramer participates in an AIDS walk, but when he refuses to wear the ribbon, he suffers the consequences. Meanwhile, Jerry meets a woman and doesn't get her phone number. Her name is Lena. She's played by Jennifer Guthrie. 
He then gets the number from the list of participants in the AIDS walk. He tells George, who proceeds to tell Susan, who then starts a chain reaction of phone calls and ultimately winds up getting back to Jerry, who gets dumped as a result. So other secondary characters in the episode is Billy, Elaine's boyfriend. She's played, oh, he's played rather by Scott Patterson. Eileen Getz plays the organizer of the AIDS walk. She's the one who, uh, you know, Kramer says, I don't want to wear the ribbon, and she tries to make him wear the ribbon. Uh, David Bird plays Roger, and Peter Melman plays uncredited as the pharmacist who sells Elaine the case of sponges. Nice, nice. Yeah, lots of secondaries in this episode. Yeah, Peter Melman, the writer himself, makes a cameo, so pretty cool. Yeah, indeed, indeed. I like it when uh, the crew cross over to the uh, to the to the screen. It's always neat. Absolutely, it's good to see their um, very minor acting chops. For sure. I always think those sort of circumstances of some extra didn't show up, or they forgot to cast someone, and they were like, "Hey, you, do you want to be in the in the episode?" And they're like, "Oh, yeah, sure, okay, why not?" <laughs> yeah, of like course. Last minute, last minute stop gaps. Yeah, and they don't want to put out the call for like auditions just for like yeah. a one minute role they're like yeah let's just get someone to do it yeah i mean they film some of these uh some of these series on pretty tight timelines so you know no no time to a cast you just pick someone who's willing and hope for the best that's it man that's it anyway a bit of trivia about the episode my friend well before we do get into trivia about the episode i actually have trivia on the sponges the today sponges just a little bit because i wondered like what a contraceptive sponge actually is and i googled it and i actually read in detail what it actually is but i'm not going to read out the method of <laughs> using the sponges but just a bit of background about today sponges so today sponges are in the united states and it's part of a line of contraceptive sponges that combine barrier and spermicidal methods to prevent contraception. And uh, in the US, they're marketed as today. In the Europe and the rest of Canada, as in the uh, non-French part of Canada, they're called Protect Aid, and uh, they're called Pharmatex in France and in Quebec. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Mm. And they were manufactured until 1995, which, which ties in with the storyline of um, being discontinued from the market, because apparently there were a lot of setbacks in terms of uh, like the, the product had a potential to give the users the uh, toxic shock syndrome, I guess, like uh, sanitary pads and, and tampons. Yeah, so they pulled them. And in 1998, a company called Allendale Pharmaceuticals acquired the rights to the sponge. And uh, there were some new FDA standards regarding manufacturing and record keeping that they had to abide to. And there were delays with trying to get to those. And uh, eventually they finally reintroduced in Canada the uh, sponge in March 2003 and in the US in September 2005 and as far as I'm aware they're still available okay well there you go yeah, so a bit of background about the sponge because I literally had no idea what they were. I've never heard them and I don't think they even sell them in Australia. Do you know if they have sponges here? Uh, look, I've never never seen them, never heard of them. They might be an option. Yeah, there's a pretty big array of uh, birth control uh, and sexual health options these days. So uh, yeah, if it does exist, it might be a less popular one, maybe. Probably, crazy. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. yes, so I learned a lot about uh, vaginal sponges. So there you okay. go. <laughs> it was a very sponge-worthy history there. The, Thank the you, biggest man. takeaway for me was the word spermicidal. That is a fantastic word, and I'm adding it to my uh, vocabulary <laughs> immediately, and I'm going to search out situations in which to drop that word in a natural way, you know, just in conversation. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's uh, That was a really spermicidal sponge there, you know. <laughs> that was <laughs> a really talking? spermicidal take. Yeah, what are you, what are you talking <laughs> about, Stephen? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotta go beep 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah that's it and you're probably sick of me talking about sponges so i actually have some trivia on the episode so this episode was written by peter melman as uh, mentioned before and uh, kramer's subplot was actually supposed to uh, originally was 
was going to involve Newman, and uh, they were planning on buying stocks in the contraceptive devices as Kramer had heard a rumor that the sponges were going out of business, but uh, they decided to go with the AIDS walk storyline. Kramer and Newman running a stock market scam would have been a fantastic storyline. It reminds me very much of the uh, bottle deposit episodes, you know, just a a money-making scam between those two. Yeah, another get-rich-quick scheme that they fail. And, I mean, yeah. you know, a, a short-term sort of stock market scam or a pump and dump scam is pretty, it, it's been done a lot in TV shows and movies, but I reckon with Kramer and Newman being behind it, it would have been a pretty fresh take on a common uh, storyline. I'm surprised I didn't flesh that out for another episode because I reckon that would have been an awesome source of comedy. The sponge part one and two. Yeah, yeah, they could have, you know, could have been like, you know, the, the today sponges goes out of stock and maybe Kramer and Newman try and figure out a way to, to bring the company back into existence via a <laughs> stock scam or something i don't know you could you could take that many many places but that would have been an awesome storyline if it was uh if it was fleshed out and then elaine susan and lena you know somehow get intertwined in the whole thing yeah 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 you could take that many many directions for sure just like the sponge story the ribbon bully storyline was actually um inspired by a real life event so apparently the seinfeld crew were asked to wear aid ribbons at the emmy awards i believe the year before this episode was filmed they didn't like it um they didn't like being sort of expected to wear a ribbon, um, not given the choice to wear one, and mm. uh, they wrote that into this episode to you know to everyone's uh, benefit because it's a it's a tremendous storyline. But Kramer has really like altruistic methods or an altruistic reason why he does it. I mean, it's not the fact that he has to wear the ribbon just because he, he's basically saying that he feels like the ribbon is just like a show of I don't know, like a superficiality when it comes to doing something good. And uh, Kramer says, I don't need to wear the ribbon to demonstrate that I'm doing something for the AIDS war. Yeah, so he's got like a nice a nice reason of doing it but people just don't get it yeah i mean i think in uh you know in, in events that are about solidarity that sort of like tribal group thing takes over in that well even though Kramer's is there for the right reasons and he's probably more altruistic than a lot of them there the fact that he's not doing exactly what everyone else is doing means that he should be shunned and in this case beaten up yeah well oh well classic group psychology classic especially in the seinfeld universe yeah that's it that's it and (laughs) you know look even though kramer probably got his head kicked in it gives us an another opportunity to see bob and cedric so the juice is worth the squeeze as far as i'm concerned indeed a few episodes uh, after the soup nazi when they debuted that's it that's it do you have any other trivia my friend or should we just jump straight in uh just one more bit of trivia so um the stand-up act in this set at the beginning uh, of Jerry's was actually cut in syndication because of the running time of the episode. It was a bit longer than most episodes. That's right. And also in syndication, the cut of Elaine heading to the bathroom to pick up a sponge and then she wonders whether you know she should use one on Billy. That little scene gets cut in syndication too. Yep. So um, yeah, if you haven't seen it, make sure you, I don't know, sign up to Netflix or something to catch those <laughs> two little, mostly insignificant, but still Seinfeld scenes. Netflix when it's there next year. Yeah. But otherwise yeah. go on Stan if you're in Australia or Amazon Prime or Hulu if you're in the uh, North America, North American region. Good. Yeah. good pick. <laughs> That's all right. It's not 2020. 20, sorry, it's not 2021 yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping it for it to be very soon, but uh, yeah, you've got to kind of write it out. <laughs> That's it. What, what else can you do? Yeah. Let's talk about some secondary characters. Why don't we start with uh, the main secondary character from the episode, Jerry's episode girlfriend, Lena Small. Yes, Lena was played by Jennifer Guthrie. She's appeared in uh, TV shows including 90210, Sex in the City, and NYPD Blue, and uh, we can see that she is a very wholesome person. She volunteers at soup kitchens every morning at 6am and uh, she's just very, very giving. And uh, to Jerry, prior to the uh, seeing all the cases of sponges in her closet, she seems like a very uh, non-deviant, non-depraved person. 
just very wholesome and cares for the environment and she cares for the ocean. She says she uses a particular, you know, brand of soap to uh, that doesn't kill the oceans. And then George comes in, the oceans can be pretty sudsy. The detergent is called Planet. Planet, that's it. Yeah. So one of those green, eco-friendly kind of, you know, ones that you see that are quite prevalent these days in the supermarket. But uh, but yeah, no, she's just really wholesome, but uh, she has a very, very depraved, as what Jerry says, a very depraved, nasty sexual side as per the uh, as per the cases of sponges. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of that classic stereotype of like a librarian. Like on the surface, they seem harmless and wholesome, but in the bedroom behind closed doors, they are not so much. So it, I think they were playing on that whole you know, innocent versus non-innocent dynamic. Yeah. In, like female characters. But I think with Lena, I can see it like with her collection of sponges as one of two things. Like one theory that I have is Lena is, you know, very sexually active, obviously, and she has all the sponges. Or maybe she doesn't have sex too often or she maybe she tries to find the right guy. And maybe just to be safe, she actually just buys a whole bunch of sponges. Maybe she goes a bit overboard with the purchases. She's like one of those toilet paper hoarders, <laughs> but, but they're for yeah. sponges. And maybe she, her activity isn't, maybe she's very selective with who she gives sponges to like is said at the end so i guess there's one of two ways of, of looking at it look i'm gonna go with the original take of that she's a very uh, sexually adventurous woman so she requires uh, a lot of sponges to you know to meet the demand <laughs> meet the demand actually i had a little trivia fact about the amount of sponges that that lena had she had um a, they reckon around 24 boxes of sponges in her cupboard um so you see 12 visible above jerry's shoulders or at jerry's height but then there might be like 12 or so on the bottom in the closet that's 1440 sponges and each um the spermicide on the sponge apparently lasts only two years before it expires lena could have sex twice a day every day for two years before her sponges lost their effectiveness so yeah you're right she's pretty uh <laughs> pretty uh, active if you will one thought that just occurred to me is that because she's such a giving person maybe she certainly <laughs> <She> gives <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, wow maybe she uh you know knowing that the sponges were being discontinued rather than panicking and trying to hoard them like a lane for personal use maybe she does some volunteer work for a women's shelter because i know that women's shelters do provide sanitary products and contraceptive products to women mm, um, right. free of charge. A lot of women's shelters deal with women who maybe don't have an income or can't afford such products. So maybe she bought them to give to a women's shelter so that they can give them out knowing that they were going out of business. Yeah, and so she keeps a few cases for herself and then she yeah, gives the rest yeah. away. Yeah, if okay, got, that makes say sense. Got, just say she's got 20 cases, maybe she keeps two or three for herself and donates the rest to you know various women's shelters across New York um, so that they have a chance to give some away before they're gone forever. Fabulous. Goodness me. There you go. Why not? Why not? <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a nice way of looking at it. I just want to add one caveat to Lena. I agree with you in that she's very wholesome and she's very genuine and she does have a very strong desire to always try and do the right and ethical thing in whatever situation. But I do think that she does enjoy the... The positive attention that it brings her she's very open about it which is fine you know if if you think that talking about your altruistic endeavors will maybe encourage others to do the same or you just want to spread some good news and some good cheer that's that's fine but i think maybe part of her maybe even unconsciously 
enjoys the the positive feedback that she would get you know so i think i think it's altruistic with a slight taint of positive feedback makes her feel good about herself so even though she has good intentions you feel like you know she kind of does it to try and get a exposure i think her primary motivation is still that pure altruism but i think just as a little added bonus if she didn't get positive feedback i don't think that that would make her stop doing right okay yeah just as just as an unintended added bonus she does enjoy the positive feedback and i don't think that that makes her do the actual charitable acts but i think it might make her talk about it a bit more to create that situation where she would get positive feedback yeah Yeah. for sure Yeah. yeah And the really interesting thing with Lena as well, Steve, is she's not phased at all by Jerry getting the number off the list. But the fact that Jerry lied about his, you know, pants size, his jean size, she dumps him for that and says that she's not sponge worthy. So she probably thinks that if Jerry will lie about something so small like that, he could lie about anything. Yeah, I don't think it's about the jean size per se. I think she's perceptive enough to realize that that is just uh, symbolic or a, a window into the vanity of Jerry Seinfeld that is much broader than just changing his uh, gene size. Yeah. She, she understands that that's just a, the, the tip of the iceberg. Of course. And why do you think she has an unlisted number? Do you think maybe she doesn't want uh, you know volunteers or, or people she's serving to you know find her and then give her yeah. a call or whatever and stalk her? Yeah. yeah, no, look, I've heard that before where people who do you know social work or a lot of charitable work and they deal with people who are a bit more needy or a bit more desperate, um, they kind of need to keep their privacy a bit more mm. in mind to prevent someone perhaps, you know, stepping over a boundary that they wouldn't feel comfortable with. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's just keeping her, her privacy and her safety intact. Yeah, that's what I thought too. <laughs> that's why she's probably creeped out when she says, Jerry, how'd you get my number? <laughs> yeah. She probably got really freaked out. I have a feeling as well that she probably likes poetry. She seems to really, really be excited about the fact that Maya Angelou, even though she didn't get to meet her, but that Maya Angelou came in and volunteered. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, notable people who come in and volunteer, you know, as part of their, um, you know, obligations as as celebrities, if you like. But mm. the fact that she highlighted Maya Angelou maybe demonstrates that she is a fan of poetry. Well, Susan loves Maya Angelou too. She's really like probing her as to like, tell me about Maya Angelou. What was she like? Yeah, no, I think um, Susan liking Maya would be, you know, that's in line with her character. We've talked about her at length before, and she, I think we've talked about how educated she is, and she's a fairly intellectual person, so liking poetry would definitely line up with that. And I wouldn't be surprised if Lena and uh, Susan off screen, and obviously before Susan's unfortunate passing at the end of this season, <laughs> maybe they maintained a friendship, you know, maybe they, I could imagine them going to like a poetry recital or something like that you know, on the weekend, because I guess finding other poetry lovers is not a common thing if you are a poetry fan, you know? Yeah. If if you're a fan of ACDC, it's probably not hard to find other ACDC fans, but finding other poetry fans might be more tricky. So when you find one, you want to make sure that you spend some time with them. Hang on to them for dear life. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) That's it. Do you have anything else yeah. about Lena? No, but actually, I didn't mind her character, actually. She was, uh, yeah, very wholesome. And, yeah, she did have that very naughty side right at the end <laughs> that Jerry finds out about. Well, yeah. you reckon that maybe she donated most of them to the women's shelter, but, of course, she would have kept a few for herself because why not? Well, yeah, I mean, she's got to look after her own sexual health. So, you know, makes mm. sense. Spot on. Anyway, shall we talk about Billy? Yeah, let's do it. 
played by Scott Patterson. He's most famous for playing uh, Luke Danes in the TV series The Gilmore Girls. So if you're a fan, you'll recognise him. Awesome. I never got into The Gilmore Girls. Yeah, me either. It's probably not really our demographic. And I think for me, I was like in high school when it came out in the 2000s. So I, yeah, I never, <laughs> never really got the chance to watch it. Yeah. Mm. I, uh, I have no interest in watching it either. Anyway. It was one of those shows as well where I think it was on at like on free-to-air TV at like 9.30 at night. So, you know, <laughs> you have like all the prime time. You know, you, like even The Sopranos used to be on at like 11 o'clock at night. You know, you get like all the rad shows and there was no streaming back then. And then all these awesome shows from the US are on like 9.30, 10 at night. I think The Gilmore Girls was like around that time. Yeah. Except so that's Sopranos probably why I never saw it. Except that The Sopranos was worth staying up for. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure The Gilmore Girls has its audience. Yeah, no, it's a popular show for sure. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, um, yeah, Billy. So, uh, yeah, he's very, uh, I guess he really looks after himself. He keeps fit and healthy. Um, he owns his own electronics distribution firm. He actually owns it. So that's pretty crazy. So I'm guessing he's probably like a, an IT guy or maybe he's into like electrical engineering or something like that. He's an electrical engineer or computer scientist. One of those things. He's in that kind of field. Yeah, no, I came to the same conclusion that he's got some sort of high-end technical skill. And yeah, uh, yeah he's maybe started out in IT and he moved into the sales side and he decided to start his own business. And, you know, yeah. being the mid nineties when PCs and, you know, at the cusp of the internet that was exploding. So maybe he, maybe he was intelligent enough to see, you know, future business trends and future commerce trends and, and set up his own business to, you know, to distribute to retail shops, computers and whatever else he, he sells. So yeah, I think he's a pretty savvy, smart, businessman. And then the company went bust after the dot-com yeah. boom was over in the 2000, 2001, whenever it was, and he lost all his money <laughs> So at the end. <laughs> Look, after being rejected by Elaine at the end, I reckon, um, you know, I reckon it made him depressed and maybe his company went bust before the dot <laughs> It was one of the victims. Yeah. Um, I hope so. <laughs> but I was thinking as well, because he owns his own firm, obviously he wouldn't have time to clean his own you know, apartment or whatever. Elaine says, you know, when she's doing the screening for the sponges, she goes, did you clean the sink, everything? And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the, the sink, you know, you clean the sink, the bathtub, everything. Yeah, yeah, I did everything. So I feel like he's probably he just like, he's either like just a guy who doesn't really, you know, he lives alone and, you know, he doesn't really clean his place too much or he's just really time poor with his business and he doesn't have time to do it. Yeah, I reckon he, he, he seems to take a lot of pride in his personal appearance. He's very well dressed. He wears a collared shirt, even when he's just hanging out at Elaine's, you know, there's no need to be overly dressed, but, you know, he wears a nice iron collared shirt, uh, collared shirt tucked into mm. his jeans and his head. He is a very clean cut, well presented guy. The time it takes to keep that up plus running his business, he probably just runs out of time to, to keep his bathroom clean, you know? So yep. yeah, maybe that's why what attracted Elaine to Jerry, one of many things back in the day, the fact that he's so clean. If it's obviously- Yeah, maybe. You know, yeah. If, it's, if yeah. it's obviously important enough to Elaine that her partners have a clean bathroom, you know, whether that 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 helps determine whether she has sex with them or not. It makes sense that maybe uh, she found that attractive in Jerry, that he's pedantically clean. Who knows? Yeah, well, they have to be clean so she can use the sponges in them yeah. without any contamination. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I think Billy as a character was un underused. I think so too, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I think, you know, the whole dynamic of Billy having to prove himself to Elaine to be sponge worthy, they could have done a lot more in terms of him, like the lengths he could have gone to, to make him sponge worthy. You know, I think, you know, like it would have been funny, a scene of him, like just doing something completely out of character, purely to prove to Elaine that he is sponge worthy. Instead, he just sort of listed a bunch of like things that any uh, well, <laughs> like well functioning person would be, you know, be doing anyway, sort of thing. It, it just seemed a bit like underwhelming or like underplayed or something like that. I just would have seen, like to have seen a bit more done with his character to prove his sponge worthiness. 
I would have loved to have seen a scene like where, you know, say Elaine comes home and, you know, Billy happens to be in her apartment for whatever reason, he's got the key or whatever. And then Billy's like cleaning everything and everything's spotless. Yeah, it would have been funny to see him like just do something above and beyond just being, what does he say? He's, he eats well, he exercises, he owns a successful business, blood work is immaculate, he's good at sex. And they're all they're all admirable qualities and they're all qualities that I guess people in general should strive to have. But it would have been, yeah, hilarious if to prove himself sponge-worthy if he had to like clean Elaine's apartment, like you said, top to bottom, or just do something that he ordinarily wouldn't do, but he's doing it because he wants to have sex with Elaine. I just mm-hmm. think it would have been a bit more comedic. Yeah, but obviously due to time constraints and three other subplots happening, they had to yeah. unfortunately <laughs> skip it, yeah. Yeah, of course, naturally. You know, it's it's uh, you know, it's on the wish list, but it, it it doesn't detract from the episode. It's just one of those things, you know, sometimes you watch an episode and you're like, Oh, I wish they did this. If I if I was in charge of this episode, I would have done this slightly differently, but you know, still yeah. a fantastic episode. And in the post credits scene, uh, yeah, Billy and Elaine, you know, Billy tries to go in for the kiss and Elaine doesn't want to. Elaine just, you know, with her uh, temporary or boyfriends or just for her, uh, well, it wasn't really a one night stand, but you know, just, she just wants to have sex and, and that's it. I mean, he's going, he's trying to go for a second time and she basically says like, I can only give you one sponge. I yeah, reckon, that's true. I yeah. reckon he overhyped his sexual ability. He's not that good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I don't think he's bad. I just don't think he's as amazing as Elaine requires for a sponge-worthy partner. He's slightly above average, shall we say. I mean, he really, yeah. you know, he makes a point of it when he's listing his good qualities and why he's sponge-worthy. He says, and if you don't mind me saying, I'm actually pretty good at it. You know, that's setting yourself up for... Failure. For, <laughs> In his well, case. For, you've got, you're setting yourself some big expectations there. And, you know, he, he didn't, didn't meet them. And Elaine's like, no... Nah. I'm, I'm not nope. another sponge on you, buddy. You're she would have faked it with him for sure. Yeah. Fake, she would have faked it. Fake, 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 fake with Billy. I think she would have. I think so, yeah. Maybe the sideburns that she was turned off by was just too much. You know, when, when <laughs> text, she was looking at him and she was like, I can't get past the sideburns, you know? <laughs> I just want to shave these fucking things off. Yeah. You know, she's like, I should have gotten him to shave it off beforehand. <laughs> Who knows? Oh, man. Who knows? But yeah. No, Billy. Yeah, no, you're right. Actually, I didn't mind Billy and I think he was well acted. But uh, yeah, I just wish I saw him in a, even just another scene or two would have been nice. Yeah, it just felt a bit, one of those characters, occasionally they come up where you like, you can see some potential. You don't know what it is exactly, but they just feel underused in some way. And that's how I feel. Or maybe if like Billy and Lena got together eventually, you yes. know, when Jerry and Elaine broke up with him. Yeah. Well, look, Billy seems very wholesome, very clean cut, very honest, very decent. Him and Lena together, now that I think of it, makes a lot of sense. So, you know, mm. yeah, that, that would have worked actually, for sure. And she's so wholesome and, you know, very patient that he, he may not be as good as what he says in bed, but maybe Lena's like, I'll put up with him because he's good looking and, you yeah, know, he's a nice she, guy. She would've, she would've maybe been, we'll, we'll work on it. She would have been a bit more patient. Like, you know, he's not terrible. So I see some potential and I can tell him what I like and we can, you know, we can work on it and he can get better and, you know, he'll be as good as he claims to be. Yep. So Billy and Lena eventually found each other. Billy, you know, went all in in the dot com boom, and then in two thousand two thousand and one, like you said, he cashed out, and uh, before everything went to shit, and then him and Lena lived happily ever after, and they started their own charity. Yeah, sure. <laughs> they started their own foundation, the Billy, the Billy and Lena Foundation. You know, in which yes. they donated sanitary products all over New York City and all over the world, and and, and electronics to the homeless people, and electric TVs to homeless <laughs> shelters. And, yeah, uh, and they gave more money for food budgets at shelters so that they didn't just have to serve soup they could serve other food options as well i checked the kitchen and they do have cream soups <laughs> i love how <laughs> 
when they're at dinner. Like that's the thing that Jerry cares about. Not, you know, like tell me about the amazing people that you've seen overcome homelessness to better that, you know, details that most people would be interested in is what's on the menu? Like what do they serve anything more than soup? Like that's that's what well, it's soup. And actually going back to Lena really quickly reminding me of that. One point that I thought of is I love when Jerry throws these, you know, when he throws these throwaway lines to like his other girlfriends in the show, you know, they usually dismiss him or whatever. But Lena's probably one of the only episode girlfriends he's had who actually follows up on these sarcastic things. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. That's crazy. She actually follows up on something that he said a few nights ago. It's like a sarcastic, yeah, it's like a sarcastic, humorous thing meant to be like a throwaway line. It closes off that joke. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. All right. Let's talk about Susan Ross in the context of the episode. Yes, played by Heidi Swedberg, and we talked about her last week in The Watch episode with your sister. Uh, Obviously, that was a few seasons before this one. She was a totally different person. But uh, yeah, Susan, we find out she uses sponges too, and she freaks out when uh, George says that they're uh, off the market. Yeah, I really like Susan in this episode. She seemed to be like a bit more like energized or something, like just a bit more keen or I can't there's there's a word I'm trying to think of, but I can't think of it, but she just seems more like on, if that makes sense. Yeah. She's really, really interested to know and intrigued by Jerry's secret about his genes uh gene size and his vanity. She seems really like taken by that by that secret and I, I thought, you know, even though uh, her and George had a bit of a fight in this episode, the fact that you see them, or you just see the hands when, when George is trying to open the condom to have makeup sex, it felt like a very real relationship. A lot of the, a lot of their, a lot of the scenes between them are George either trying to come up with a way not to spend time with her or to break up with her or her being mad at him or both. But just the fact that they were trying to overcome a problem, a sexual problem, it just seemed like a bit more of a real relationship thing. And I, I really appreciated that. It's something that yeah reminded me of my younger days. You know, I'm sure yeah. when we were younger, Steve, we had troubles with that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, but like George said, you know, as soon as we got engaged, I said goodbye to the condom forever. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, just, I, I appreciated the. It's a bit stereotypical, but I did appreciate the whole Susan and her birth control thing, where George is just completely clueless. Where Elaine says, "What does Susan use?" and George goes, oh, "I don't know. She uses. She must use something. Like he has no idea." And no. Susan you know, sort of has to get George to take her around to different pharmacies to find the sponge and then end up going to Elaine's house. I don't know. It it added a slight element of reality to their relationship. Yeah. Actually, I love that scene with George and Susan's hands. I think that's like whoever came up with that, it's brilliant. Like, you know, you didn't have to see George and Susan naked or, you know, with their sheets on. It just you see their hands and but you can still feel the frustration and hear the frustration. Yeah. I think it was a really well it, shot scene. It was really well shot. Hand acting. If I don't know if hand acting is a specific art form, but if it is, it was very good. Well George has been a hand model in the past, so we get to see his beautiful hands again. Well they are nice. I mean they're probably not Jason Alexander's hands, but you know, whoever's hands they are, they're they're very nice nice very nice yeah very good i'm sure they got a couple of hand models to do that one yeah for sure for sure all right just got a couple of notes on bob and cedric as well in this episode uh we have talked about them in previous episodes so what was the episode you mentioned the other day you mentioned that they're in oh the soup nazi that's the when they made their debut. Yeah, like a few, ep- I think like five or five episodes before this one, maybe. Yeah. Maybe which a few. Is, yeah, yeah. Which is our very first awkward clunky episode. Go all the way back to the beginning, March 17, I think, 2007. But we remade it. We, we re-gifted it. We uh, did like an enhanced edition, so which that's is even better last year. So listen yeah. to that one instead. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Thanks yeah. for the question there. Um, that's right. Yeah, I think that they, this is probably them at their most aggressive, I would yes. say. 
you know, in the Soup Nazi when they steal the armoire, you know, they're pretty aggressive, but it's not a physical thing. It's more of just a, it's more like posturing and it's more of a, more of like a, a non-physical threat. Whereas in this episode, they go, they fully see through their threats with physical violence and not just them, but they, they rally up a mob. Obviously the mob are on their side and they're unhappy as well about Kramer not wearing the ribbon. But the fact that they sort of, they rally up this mob to isolate Kramer from the, from the AIDS walk into like an alley or something. And then you don't see it, but you know, off screen, it suggested that they sort of kick the shit out of him, basically. <laughs> down off that fence that he's trying to climb up. Yeah, it's, it was just like the next step. You see them pretty aggressive in the soup Nazi, but you don't see any physical violence. And this one, you see them like go that next step and actually kick the shit out of someone that they're bothered by. It was just, it was very, um, yeah, it just, it just proves how far they're, they're willing to go to stomp out what they see as offenders. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think because Bob and Cedric, as soon as they see Kramer, they remember who he is from the yeah. Soup Nazi. So they probably think this guy again gave us a bit of trouble. But it's like you mentioned, you know, they weren't as aggressive last time. I find it funny how they're actually committing like a crime in the Soup yeah. Nazi. They see themselves as the good guys, but then they're doing the right thing and they're even more aggressive. Yeah, yeah. They're sort of like, so, well, they're, they're self-appointed vigilantes. But yeah, that's it. But yeah. everyday morals and laws don't apply to them. You know, they're they're above them. They somehow justify stealing armoires off the street and, and kicking the shit out of people for what is a relatively small and unimportant offence. Not even an offence, really, especially as far as Kramer's concerned. Yeah, it's it's a weird weird uh sort of dichotomy that they are they're criminals they steal shit and kick the shit out of people but they think that like you said that they are sort of morally you know superior to those that are around them i love the scene where kramer's trying to climb the ladder to escape and they get him it's actually mirrored in the season eight premiere the foundation where kramer befriends the karate kids and then you know they they confront kramer in that same alleyway and he tries to escape and the kids grab him it's yeah. like this it's almost like a shot for shot remake it's so yeah. good yep for sure, for sure. Yeah, love it. Uh, the only other notes that I had on any of the secondaries was the pharmacist who is didn't catch his credit. He's played by Peter Melman. Peter Melman. Oh, yeah, he course. was the, the writer of Seinfeld, of, 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 the, of the episode, the writer, but he's uncredited in the episode, yeah. Of course, you did say that. My, my apologies. Mm. I just loved his slightly escalating shocked looks or confused <laughs> looks as Elaine yeah. constantly ups the amount of... Yeah, <laughs> just 20 will be fine. I'll take 25. I'll yeah, just give me the whole case. And he kind of gets more and more... <laughs> confused and not shocked but just sort of surprised he's like okay 25 no just give me the whole case it just keeps escalating and in the end he's just like oh okay and he goes against the case i just thought it was very funny i'm sure he's seen a lot of things being an old school pharmacist i'm sure he's been a pharmacist for what 40 50 years you know but a, a woman coming in desperately wanting as many sponges as he, she can supply was new even for him yeah and he probably wasn't a pharmacist during the toilet paper hoard of 2020 no. <laughs> it's probably it's probably the second worst thing with the sponges just wait till he sees the toilet paper if he was still yeah. working <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he saw you know in the weeks around uh, elaine stocking up on sponges i'm sure he sh i'm sure he saw a lot of desperate you know women come in begging for any sponges that he could supply and i'm sure he I'm sure he had a lot of abuse as well when he had to say i'm out sorry uh, yeah. yeah i'm sure he would have copped a bit of uh, frustration and abuse from all, the, <laughs> from all the desperate spongy uh sponge customers well let's hope when they were reintroduced 10 years later in 2005 he was still in business and uh, the sponges came back even better and yeah, he sold them true he probably made a mozza you know 10 years of pent-up demand that unleashed <laughs> That would have been round the round the corner, around the block, knocking, mate. That's knocking it. Down his, knocking down his door for those sponges. Oh wow, definitely a sponge-worthy business to be in. <laughs> True. <laughs> 
All right, that is all the secondary characters for this week's episode, The Sponge. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about where this episode ranks in all the episodes we've reviewed so far, and whether any of the secondary characters appear in our top 20 of all time. Yeah, yeah. Hey, where's your ribbon? Oh, I don't wear them. You don't wear the ribbon? Aren't you against AIDS? Yeah, I'm against AIDS. I mean, I'm walking, aren't I? Don't wear the ribbon. Who do you think you are? Put the ribbon on. Hey, Cedric, Bob, this guy won't wear a ribbon. Who? Who doesn't want to wear the ribbon? So, Stephen, out of 141 episodes we have done throughout the course of this podcast, where does the sponge sit for you? Uh, this one sits at number 33. I really like Ooh. Yeah, I really like this episode. I thought it was really solid all the way through. I loved the interplay between all the storylines. I loved that uh, Lena's character wasn't she was a bit different to jerry's other girlfriends yeah she had a she had an idiosyncrasy which was being i guess overly or extremely charitable and giving which is not a bad thing but it's not something that jerry could hold against her you know normally normally the trait is an excuse for jerry to break up with his girlfriend or to make fun of her about behind her back but in this case she kind of had it over jerry because she's very decent and he isn't i loved that slight difference of dynamic between jerry and his girlfriend Um, and i loved how lena actually followed up on one of jerry's throwaway lines with the cream soup no that was good and and the fact that jerry was the one with the idiosyncrasy or trait that turned her off again was a nice switch up as well Um, yeah nice change yeah yeah i I appreciated that from a writing point of view i thought susan was fantastic in this episode i love kramer i love bob and cedric I, i thought it was all fantastic how about you number 55 okay yeah, enjoyed the episode. Uh, not a, not as great as I remembered it, but yeah, still some funny moments. Like you mentioned with Billy before, I wish we saw Billy in like another scene or two. I think he was really well acted. Yeah, but you know, Lena was a good character. Yeah, Kramer's AIDS walk <laughs> subplot was pretty funny and uh, George wasn't able to get makeup sex with Susan. It was very relatable for young bucks like us <laughs> back in the day. Speak for yourself, bud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Do any of the secondary characters appear in your top 20? No, but special mention to Lena and Billy. What about you? Yeah, I'm the same. Um, I did like Lena. She's one of my she's one of my favorite secondary characters we've done lately. Obviously, yep. given the fact that we're 80, 85% of the way through the episodes, it's getting harder and harder for secondary characters to make the cut. Um, but she's my favorite secondary character in a little while, probably in the last four or five episodes that we've done. Okay, so she doesn't make your 20 though? She's no, not quite... Not she, quite there. She's my favorite in the last sort of four or five weeks. I, I do like her. Sweet, man. Honorable mentions then. Yes, indeed. All right. That is another week, but I don't want to be a secondary character. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. If you want to email us, you can email bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com or in all forms of social media. You can listen to all of our previous episodes on whatever podcast app you choose. And if you want to rate us or review us, that would be amazing. And you can support us financially as well. That's right. We are on Patreon and PayPal. And on Patreon, you do get exclusive access to Season 11 and Curbcast Season 2, a couple of bonus podcast series. And you get early access to this episode before everyone else. That's right. And finally, if you want to join our Seinfeld group, Oh, sorry, our Facebook group about Seinfeld. <laughs> Seinfeld <isn't>? Yes. <laughs> Both are true, technically. Um, we are the biggest Seinfeld group on Facebook by far. We've just mm-hmm. ticked over 77,000 members, which is just mind-blowing. The numbers keep growing and it keeps blowing us away. And we've got lots of awesome stuff coming up. We just started doing weekly trivia. Next trivia event is September 5, and that one is for all you Australian and New Zealand listeners. Check out all the details. Uh, there is an event pinned to the top of the group. Some other really cool stuff coming up that I can't talk about, but we'll be working with someone very close to Seinfeld. Really, really exciting stuff. 
stuff and all the details will come out in the next few weeks. Yes, can't wait, mate. It's going to be fantastic. You've got a lot of lot of good stuff to look forward to. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, really exciting. And, um, you know, as a Seinfeld fan and as someone who's been doing the podcast for three and a half years, it's, um, you know, it makes it even more exciting. You know, if you're listening, you'll be pretty stoked with it too. For sure, man. Anyway, next week we are going to season nine to talk about the bookstore. And I think this is the first time we're ever going to talk about Rebecca de Mornay. Yes. <laughs> a cult secondary favorite. Yeah, no, she's a uh, cult favorite. Yeah, she's an underrated secondary character, but um, much loved amongst the uh, the Seinfeld community for sure. Indeed. It's, her, I think, her second of two appearances in the bookstore. Yeah. So uh, we'll you talk about her. In the Muffin Tops? Yes, we did the muffin tops way back when. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Actually, no, we have oh, we have spoken about her then <laughs> yeah. in the muffin tops. Okay, so this will be the last time we speak about her. Yeah, that's right. Oh well, it doesn't matter. We've done a lot of episodes, so we can't remember. <laughs> what we've done. You know, we're whatever. We're in our thirties. Whatever, man. Just do it. We're almost yeah. there. Exactly. Whatever. Who cares? We care. We care. And, uh, we care we, about you. That's right. And we care that you listen. So thank you once again. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen. I'm the other host, Ivan. And uh, we'll catch you all next week for the bookstore. Yes. And don't bring your books into the bathroom. It's very unhygienic, especially in these times. You take care. <laughs> that's right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>